Welcome to Mad About AV, your industry-leading source for insights about all things AV and interactive systems. At Mad Systems, we take pride in delivering cutting-edge exhibits and interactives that evolve alongside your industry and leave a lasting impact. And this podcast will let us bring you along for the ride. It's time to show you why we're Mad About AV. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mad About AV, a Mad Systems podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the podcast. As you're listening along, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you're going to our website, madsystems.com, for more information about our solutions and services. And of course, more Mad About AV content. So on today's episode of the podcast, we're welcoming back returning guest Trisha Rodriguez, Mad Systems Director of Marketing. And for the first time, we're inviting on David Whitemeyer, Director of Business Development for Lucy Creative. Trisha and David are going to help us explore the intersections between technology and design. So design and technology over the last several years have become even more intertwined. From supporting softwares, making the design process more seamless and creative, to interconnected devices, supporting a space's workflow, to stunning visual displays, amplifying the feel and tone of a work or community environment. So obviously design and technology are joined at the hip. But we want to explore today, how has that relationship changed in recent years? So David and Trisha are here to give their perspectives. David, Trisha, welcome. Great to have you both on. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Hey, David, thanks for joining with us. We're really excited to have you on our podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Well, before we get into all of the great information about tech and design, I really just want to thank you for um, this beautiful book that you sent over to us, Abandoned Massachusetts, The Lost Treasures of the Bay. I have to say, um, everyone, I, I've i been following David on um, Instagram for, for years, and he's a very talented um, photographer, along with um, being a very talented architect. And he uh, sent me this book that he's put together of very interesting and unusual environments, photography of those areas. And it's so much fun to look at, David. I I just really am enjoying it. Thank you. If uh, any of you out there love photography such as like I do, please uh, have a look at that. Um, I think you can find it on the web somewhere, right, Dave? Uh, Yep, you can find it on my website, which is just dwhitemeyer.com, and I'm pretty sure it's still available on Amazon. Well, I I know that everyone's going to enjoy it, but I do have a question for you. These places that you've you've taken this photography um, of all of these abandoned locations, they are beautiful when you've finished your artwork on them and stunning, uh, I have to say. But uh, just how often do you end up in jail going into these locations? Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fortunately I've never, I've never been in jail, but it's funny. I get asked that question quite frequently, (laughs) you know, and honestly, I am extremely respectful of no trespassing signs and people's property and where it's inappropriate for me to go. And whenever possible, I seek permission to go into those, those spaces. I also keep those locations fairly secret because I don't want them to get vandalized. Right, right. They, they are really 
unbelievably untouched. I, I'm shocked every time uh, I run into some of your new photography. So thank you so much for sharing that. It's, it's a beautiful and sad in the same time. It's, it's just crazy. Well, I find th thank thank you for mentioning it. I you know I find a true beauty in their solitude and um, and and right back at you. I wanted to thank you for um, sharing your delicious limoncello recipe this past <laughs> summer. My wife my <laughs> wife and I enjoyed making it and we enjoyed drinking it even more. I love limoncello. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed my recipe. <laughs> That's did. wonderful. Well, let's get into some of this context of design and tech. Great. Yes, let's. And uh, when we're done here, limoncello recipe sounds uh, sounds great. So you know, CC me on that email if there are any updates. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Love it. Daniel. All right, David, Trisha, let's get into the main conversation points for the day. Uh, David, I'm going to start with you here since you are the fresh guest. Can you give us some context on the kinds of design projects that Lucy Creative oversees, just so our audience better understands where you're coming from? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Lucy Creative is a full-service uh, exhibit and experience design agency, and the majority of our work is with museums and, and major cultural institutions. But we also create some visitor experience spaces for for corporations. And with our museum work, we work on all types of museums: science museums, history and culture spaces, children's museums, visitor centers, etc. You know, and if if you look at our portfolio of work on our website, for example, we like to say that there's no there's no Lucy Creative style. What you'll see in our projects is that no two look alike. We try to truly customize each of our projects for our clients' visions, their stories, their needs, and their architectural space. And David, you're a licensed architect of over 20 years, I think 25 years now of experience in mm -hmm. museum planning, exhibition design, project management, et cetera, et cetera. So you've had a hand in creative design at many different levels. Can you break down some of the ways that you've seen technology support your different design work over the last 20, 25 years? Yeah, I guess the way to kind of break that down is is to think about what technology has done for exhibition design, both with the process and the product. And then I guess I've been doing this long enough, I can be nostalgic. Um, and when I think back of when I started designing exhibits, I was drawing with pencils, vellum, triangles, and a May line. And I suspect just a, a few of your listeners might actually know what a May line is, but I don't really know anybody who is still designing by pen and pencil, you know, CAD made its way into the exhibition design process in the late 90s and has improved ever since, which has just, you know, enhanced the tools that exhibit designers have available to them. The next part of that question is just related to what technology has done over the last uh, 20 years related to the product and the museums and the visitor experiences. And certainly as technology has improved, it's it's given designers like us, you know, so many more, so many more tools and options in how we help our clients to tell their stories and, and to create engaging spaces for them. So Tricia, uh, can you comment a little bit on uh, David's work at Lucy and uh, some of the ways that you've seen technology intersect with uh, his design work and with Lucy's design work since you've, um, you know, been working with them over the years? <laughs> well, um, Lucy is a very talented team of architects and interactive design for museums and 
multiple different sorts of environments for education purposes and and I think they do retail also. Mm-hmm. They their design is mostly well described by David. The tools that they use have all changed considerably and along with their changes um, from CAD to SketchUp, we've had to follow along with that because we need to be able to use all the same tools to continue on with the type of design that they're using so that we can interact with the audiovisual design into that. So as far as where things are going and installation goes. So it's been really fun watching the process of new tools. It's made things so much easier to work and integrate with our designers. Right. I'm going to open this up to both of you now. So um, whoever wants to chime in first can. Uh, but what are some of the main improvements or adaptations in technology that you've both seen hit the design space, whether that's technology to support the design process or technology integrated into said designs? Again, what are some of the main improvements or adaptations you've seen in said tech? Well, I'm comfortable jumping in a little bit and uh, elaborating on on the process. You know, as I mentioned a moment ago, again, things like CAD, you know, AutoCAD, Revit, SketchUp, Vectorworks, those those applications have made their way into the exhibition design process over the last 20 to 25 years. You know, and not only does it give designers additional tools and essentially processing power for creating, for elaborating on their creations, but it also provides us those tools for illustrating that work for our clients with high quality renderings and, and fly-throughs and things like that. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've seen in the last 10 years that you never would have imagined 25 years ago is that from a client's perspective, they want to see what things are going to look like in an almost photorealistic way very, very early in the process. And what technology has allowed us to do is essentially in the concept design phases of a project is to create very realistic images of what what spaces will look like. And that's that is invaluable in helping to get buy-in from clients and push and push their projects forward. That's true. It's it's really, really cool when we can actually deliver visual product to the client so that they can see what they're actually going to get and they love it. As far as the adaptations with the technology within the spaces themselves is that, you know, and we know this from our from our own home computers and our phones and our watches is that you know technology continues to get smaller and smaller while at the same time it gets uh, stronger and stronger which just makes you know it makes integrating technology with museum exhibits and visitor experiences that much easier yeah i guess that's where quicksilver is coming in and being so popular with some of the designers today because of its ease of use with the smaller computers being remotely integrated Mm -hmm. so let's get specific about some of those technologies let's start with vr are you seeing technology like vr in public spaces have major impacts on what designers are bringing to market nowadays? Is it really, you know, in with quotes around it to uh, integrate VR experiences at scale? So what what I have seen in the museum environment, VR is, it's still fairly new. 
and people are still experimenting with it. And there is still some curiosity as to what are the most appropriate ways to use virtual reality in telling stories and enhancing visitor experiences. The challenge that virtual reality presents, um, particularly now during, um, during the COVID pandemic, is you have devices, headsets, uh, and goggles that require a lot of touching and cleaning. And because, um, because of this technology, they also require um, typically require museum staff to be part of that experience. Where I've seen virtual reality work extremely successfully is actually not in the final visitor experience, but in the design process itself. And going back to being able to help clients visualize what they're going to see, more and more firms, particularly the architecture firms, are not just doing fly-throughs on a computer screen that their that their clients can see, but they are creating these three-dimensional environments and during meetings with their client using virtual reality to, I guess, somewhere between literally and figuratively put clients in the spaces while they are in the design phase and allow them to walk through and, ex and see what it's gonna look like. Completely agree. For us, we're, not finding virtual reality a good solution on a number of levels in the visitor experience because of the amount of work it takes and interaction that it takes and um, not to mention our pandemic issue as David had mentioned. So um, there are other solutions like dome experiences that you can flip them on their sides and make them immersive. There's a lot of other cave development using a whole room and making the whole room the environment and bringing people into that. And not only are you taking away the individual experience, you're actually sharing it now with a group. And it's so important that if a family comes in, they share that together. That's why they're there together. Otherwise, you'd be doing it alone. So it's it's interesting, the whole VR conversation, but it is early stages, as David has said, and there's much to learn about this. So that's my, my feelings on it. So let's ground this back to uh, Lucy's project, David. How do you see... Uh, this change in technology over, you know, let's say the past five years or so, impacting the way that you and your team at Lucy approach your projects and design your projects? Anything that's been made easier, been made harder? You know, go and break that down for us. Yeah, again, going, you know, going back to how technology is getting smaller and smaller and faster and faster, a lot of that has to do with the innovation and improvement in wireless technology and wireless signals in museums. So it means that museums have been able to incorporate localized media experiences, beacon technologies, RFID technologies, and also personal mobile or smartphone use into the visitor experience. So when we're creating a, a three-dimensional space that is telling a story, again, through, through environment pieces, through lighting, through graphic design, et cetera, as we're thinking about media, we have all of these new technologies, particularly smaller and smaller ones and Wi-Fi that allow us to think think bigger and bigger. And again, as, as Trisha mentioned earlier with the Quicksilver thing, it's a, it, it's a, it's a great connection to a system like that that um, has small localized pieces throughout an exhibition. And that are amazing for heritage um, locations that you're not allowed to do any sort of changes to the building 
because it is a historic site. So there's no more cable pulling or, or need to run conduit on the walls or hiding that stuff because Quicksilver allows you to be wireless 100% and it's proven to be very stable. So we're super excited about that new technology and can't wait until all of our designers out there understand it and are capable of using back to what you were talking about, Daniel, some of the interesting technologies for design, what we have designed called uh, Drink Me, which will allow the the designers to literally um, put in the AV platform themselves and be able to put everything together themselves. So literally, they'll be able to handle their own systems and bring in others to do the installation. So once we get all that training taken care of and people are getting comfortable with this new platform that we're using and a new system and new solutions, it will become uh, an, a, a new technology that's ease of use. So it's, it's interesting. It's just all about training. So part of the relationship between technology and design obviously extends to the end users as well, who have their own growing and ever more comfortable relationship with technology. So I'd like to expand on that a little bit. What impact do y'all expect to see from the change in audience? Basically having a young and technologically very sophisticated audience interacting with your designs. (laughs) That's a great question, and uh, I may I may step on a soapbox here for a, for a moment. <laughs> I'll start sort of with our you know with our with our firm thinking. You know, at Lucy Creative, our philosophy about technology and exhibits is that you know we we don't want to include technology just for technology's sake. Again, in designing an ex, an experience, we recognize that used creatively, technology offers unique ways to convey information, uh, evoke emotions, and provide engaging, vibrant experiences. But it really needs to be done with the intention that it is the right tool for doing those things, and it is balanced with the other uh, exhibit techniques that are used to to reach our visitors. The other part of that, and related to the the young and technologically sophisticated audience, again, is, is a recognition that, you know, people are walking around with a, a supercomputer in their pocket. And, you know, we don't want to duplicate the experiences that they can get from their smartphones or from sitting in front of a computer. You know, I, I, I think about this quite often, you know, I'm the type of museum goer that really looks for balance in those things. Like so many people, I spend my entire day sitting in front of a computer. So when I do go to a museum, I'm not typically drawn to some sort of the more traditional technological experiences, which might be touch screens and and videos and orientation films like that. But I am eager for more sort of immersive environments and experiences that I can't get at home or I can't get in my office. And when I go to the museum and I watch others that are being there, David, you and I look at museums quite differently because we are there every day. We're doing new museums, new experiences, new thoughts. Um, so we're, we're immersed in museums every day. And it will be wonderful if we could get every family member interested in museums because they have so much to offer. 
However, we also need to give them a personal experience because they're expecting that today and especially our young museum goers. They want to be enlightened. They want new technologies. They want to be able to understand the technology at their level, not the graphic panel is something that they don't take time to read anymore. They need to be engaged. And as David said, it's very important to put in technology for a good reason, not just for the sake of putting in technology. There has to be a good reason for it. Technology is expensive. But we've been getting really lucky that lately technology has been coming a lot more affordable and you can do a lot more for less money, um, especially if you have an AV company and a designer that communicate together, that can design together and, and really um, know the budget and deliver a great product that will make everybody happy and also give the museum goer a experience that is completely at their level. If they want history, give them history. If they want science, give them the science behind what they're going to see. If they want just the art story behind it, you know, so uh, we can do that and it can be done. Trisha, that is that's such a great point about um that you know younger visitors really are looking to be you know enlightened and, and entertained and and you're right they're 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 not <laughs> they're probably not reading all the graphic panels we want them to do and what technology does is allow all of us designers and media experts and an ability to customize experiences and information and engagement with our visitors and you know when a when an adolescent or a child goes into a museum, we're not just trying to inform and entertain them at the moment, but really thinking long-term, we want them to become lifelong museum lovers, lifelong museum, mm -hmm. go lifelong museum, Absolutely. museum goers, right? So, you know, we want to give them information and experience the way they want to take it in so that they they remember those moments and they realize, okay, this is a space where, where I'm welcome, where, I can get information and I'm entertained and then hopefully they will bring their own children there. Absolutely. What are some differences if y'all want to get even more specific compared to you know, 10 or 15 years ago that you see in how the youngest demographics in your spaces learn and interact with technology? Uh, how is that impacting your designs um, and is that being built into the design process to, uh, you know, consider that sort of relationship? That's a great question. I think, you know, one of the things that I think has changed over the last 10 to 15 years is, uh, and it's not just true of 10 to 15 years, though it, it, it is mostly since, uh, you know, we're sort of, we've hit our first generation who has grown up with, with smartphones, but younger visitors are going into museums intuitively knowing how technology works and how it is supposed to work. So for example, if, if, if a young child goes into an old museum, there's a tendency to go up to just about any screen with either both of their hands or their thumb and their forefinger to pinch and zoom. And if, and if a monitor isn't set up like that, they will, they will walk away because that sort of pinch and zoom motion has become so intuitive in them and really in all of us. 
And so again, there's, there's not as much learning that's necessary anymore. I want to touch on something else real quick related to that. And it, it, it's not so much about youth as it is about visitors in general, and, but about intuition. And it's related to what we were talking about with the COVID-19 pandemic. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit a few months ago, a number of, of experts in our industry were thinking very carefully about changes that we could make to the exhibit environments to make touchless experiences, and sometimes what that turned to is um, experiences where, you know, people might interact with their their feet, or even you know even using things like the looking glass system that Mad Systems has, and these are technologies that continue to improve and that people get more familiar with. But at the moment, it is still a learning experience, and those interactions with technologies are not yet intuitive, but they soon will be. We're going to grow into them. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's, there are so many other ways besides touching um, that we, you know, can integrate technology with sensors and facial recognition, uh, facial tracking, hand tracking, you know, RFID, uh, bring your own device. It's, it's all available. It's just a matter of putting it in. And I, I would say the, the, the simplest way that I could advise some of the museums, if you're out there listening, is that bring your own device and QR code is a great way um, to set up some of your touch interactives to get them to interact with the visitor without them having to touch the screen for those who do not want to. So look into that technology. And I'm happy to talk to anybody about that um, just give me a call. I, I can definitely help if, if you need it. Let's look a little forward now. What sort of changes in technology do you expect to see over the next five to 10 years based on uh, some of the trends that are most popular right now? And how do you imagine those will have an impact on the design work that y'all are doing and just the design space as a whole? So, I think what we're all seeing in the museum environment, as well as retail environments, uh, outdoor plazas, the cityscape around us is um, more and more technology is going to continue to, I guess, quote, disappear and just become part of, of what we're seeing, you know, as innovations in glass technology allow for um, interactions and in those, you will see storefronts that incorporate those things. You know, Trisha and I have had a couple of great conversations over the months about the future of simple graphic panels in museums. And like we were saying earlier, fewer and fewer people are reading static graphic panels, but through technology, there's a way to take those same sorts of uh, surface environments and turn them into dynamic, customizable surfaces. So as you once approached a, a static graphic panel and, and read it, a visitor might now approach a graphic panel and it senses who they are and it changes um, based on their needs and it gives them the information that that individual visitor is looking for. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And with the cost of some of the new short throw projectors out there, it really does make it simple to, you know, go uh, dynamic graphics. It, it just makes sense and people are loving it. And it, it attracts 
your attention and they are learning from it and they're getting um, a great amount of information that will be retained because that's the way the younger groups that are coming in are learning. That's what they're used to having. So they pay attention to that. And when you see something move, you can't help but look at it because that's the way your eyes are trained. Last main question for you both as we wrap up the podcast. How do you think technology such as Mad Systems Quicksilver might help further adapt the relationship between design and technology, especially to match some of those trends and potential future projections? Um, sure. You know, in, in, in matching those trends, again, about you know technology getting smaller and smaller and wireless technologies getting stronger and more dependable, I think what Quicksilver does is allow um, easier fabrication and installation. There are, there are no wireways, there's no chases, and um, there's you know seamless connection and control between the, the media and the control systems. Yeah, and and also you know we're giving back space because we no longer need that AV room anymore, and there's no more you know need of air conditioning the the equipment. Uh, it, it has so much to say for it, for sure, that, and, and the affordability of it, the amount of money that, that you're going to be able to put back in to the design that we're saving in infrastructure is crazy. So I think, again, like I said earlier, once we get this out there, uh, where it becomes a more friendly name that people know and we're doing our darndest to get it out there for sure. Uh, I think that they will find the ease of use just so manageable that it's going to become a very popular tool to use and it will be seen as a friendly AV system, especially for the owner, because the owners at the facility don't have that capability of having a bunch of tech people at their at their becking call. So this is a computer system that almost everybody is IT friendly. So uh, it's such an ideal thing. But you know, in saying that, traditional AV is still very alive and in some ways still necessary and there are things that quicksilver will not be able to do so you know there's amazing products out there and we love to use those whatever is best for the client is what's best to be installed and designed into these environments and as david knows there's not always just one answer. There's a lot of directions that we can go. There's a lot of good technology out there and there's a lot of smart people out there installing it. And it's just so fun to watch development happen and the different solutions people are coming up with. All right, that does it for our conversation today on Mad About AV. Thank you again to both of our guests. We've been chatting with Trisha Rodriguez, Mad Systems Director of Marketing, and David Whitemeyer, Director of Business Development for Lucy Creative. Trisha, David, pleasure getting to have you both on, breaking down this intersection between technology and design. Thank you, David, for joining us. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and I am so excited to watch Lucy grow, continue to grow. You guys are an amazing team, and 
Um, I'm looking forward to our continued relationship that we've had for so many years. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for inviting me, Trisha. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to when um, conferences come back and uh, I can visit with you and Maris in person and we can continue the conversation and I can hear more about what innovative ideas you guys are working on next. And um, yeah, thank you. I hope our, our listeners are also eager to learn more about Lucy Creative um, and check us out. And David, just one more time for our audience, if folks want to learn more about Lucy Creative's work, where can they go online to learn more? Yeah, absolutely. They can find us at lucycreative.com. And just to be clear, it's L-U-C-I, lucycreative.com. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn under the same name. And folks are more than welcome to reach out to me by email. And my address is david at lucycreative.com. Daniel, thank you for helping us get this podcast together. And we always enjoy doing our podcasts with you. Um, David, we'll talk to you very soon. Absolutely. Always a pleasure getting to chat with the Mad Systems team. So thanks again, David. Thanks, Tricia. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Mad About AB, a Mad Systems podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're going to our website, madsystems.com. Again, madsystems.com for more information about solutions and services and other Mad Systems content. And you can also subscribe to Mad About AB on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time. 